You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. And turn with me to the Gospel of Mark today. Mark chapter 11 specifically is where we're going to be. As we take some time this morning to reflect upon Jesus' triumphal entry and take a look at Palm Sunday. And as we begin that study, our study today, this in fact is, you know, the start, what really kicks off the last week of Jesus' life as he is on his way to the cross and ultimately to raise from the dead from that tomb on Easter Sunday. I'm excited to celebrate that with you guys coming up. But if you will, right now, Mark chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we will pray and move into our study. So verse 1 says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the, on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things as the hour was already late, He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Will you pray with me? Amen. Well, as we take some time today to look at this significant event, we are told first of the approach that Jesus makes there to Jerusalem. And indeed, this approach that he makes is a unique trip for Jesus and his disciples. Jesus makes his way with his disciples to the city of Jerusalem. And if all we had was this section right here, it would seem like this is Jesus' only time to go to Jerusalem. We would think that, oh man, this is Jesus' big moment where he's finally going to Jerusalem. And though it is a big and unique moment, this isn't the first time that Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. The Gospel of John specifically tells us of several instances where Jesus would have gone into that city. We know that he was a devout Jewish man, so he would have gone to Jerusalem for feast days on many occasions to celebrate there and to be there. This would have been a familiar road, a familiar time for himself and the disciples. But of course, this trip was different. And the events that would take place couldn't be farther from the same old, same old as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, not only to celebrate the Passover, but to be the perfect sacrifice there at the Passover time. To go into that city as he approached, it was different because he was going not just to celebrate the Passover, but to be the savior of the world. And as he approached, we see there that he gives instructions to the disciples that were equally unique. It was a unique approach that he made, but then he gives unique instructions to his disciples to go and grab his preordained ride there. 
In verse 2, Jesus tells two disciples to go into the village opposite of them and to retrieve a colt there, telling them that as soon as they enter the village, they will find this colt tied up, one on which no one had ridden before. Matthew's account gives of this event, lets us in on the fact that it was not only the colt that they would retrieve, but also the colt's mother that would walk alongside as Jesus was riding it there into Jerusalem. And the disciples we know from the text, they go into the city, they find the colt, of course, and then they start untying it, which again, as, as a disciple, just shows great faith, right? Like they're going to the city and they're like, well, there it is, let's, let's get it. <laughs> and if they're asked, hey, what are you doing? They're like, the Lord has need of it, and that's supposed to work. And it does, because Jesus knows what he's doing. <laughs> but still, great faith by the disciples there. And verse 7 tells us that they bring the colt to Jesus... They throw their clothes on it as a saddle, and Jesus makes his way there into Jerusalem. And it's at this juncture that we take some time not to just look at the approach and the uniqueness of that approach, knowing what Jesus was going to Jerusalem to do at this time. But we also look, more importantly, at the entrance that he makes into Jerusalem. We look there, and we no doubt know that this interest into Jerusalem was unique for Jesus, but it was unique for a few reasons that we can and need to key in on today. The first one is the prophecy that this moment fulfilled. You see, Jesus, as he makes his way into Jerusalem and makes his entrance on the young cults, is fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy spoken of the coming Messiah. Now, Mark doesn't mention Zechariah, um, the verse from Zechariah that we're going to read as Matthew and John do, because Mark was speaking and writing to a predominantly Gentile culture and Gentile audience as he wrote his gospel. But Zechariah 9.9 says this of the coming Messiah. It says there, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Bible as we know, and for you to know today if you don't, is set apart as one of the many, uh, many religious books in the world and is set apart as special and as we hold it accurate because of the fulfilled prophecy that we see within its pages. We believe the, the word of God is inerrant and infallible, that it is truly the words of God. And the fulfilled prophecy that we see in it concretes that for us. Specifically with Jesus, where there are over 300 prophecies that we see in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills as he comes onto the scene. And one of the many that he fulfilled as the coming Messiah was this one that we read of right here. This one that we read of as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the colt, he comes in there as the king. But he's not coming in as the king that the Jewish people at that time were looking for. He doesn't come in as a king there to set up shop and start a revolution. No, he is riding in as a peaceful king which is significant or is, is, is known and is significant by the ride that he chose to come in on. He didn't come in on a warring horse, but he came in on a colt, a lowly colt. He rides in not as a warring king, but as a king bringing peace. Now, we again know that the people, though they will respond to Jesus coming in with worship and with praise, that they are going to miss the way that he is, in fact, coming in. 
And as Mark is writing to primarily a Gentile and Roman audience, this method of Jesus riding in on this donkey would have been counter to their perception as well of how a, a king would enter. You see, the Romans, we know they, they knew how to make an entrance, right? Like you could read from history about how the Romans knew how to throw a parade, how they knew how to make an entrance, and, and how they would imagine a king riding in would be in the form with great pomp and great dominance portrayed and displayed there. You can read in history books of how Roman generals coming back from war, giving this, being given this parade as they went through, and it was an elaborate, elaborate ordeal. And they would imagine that if this king was riding into Jerusalem, that it would be much in the same matter. It would be counterintuitive as they read here that Jesus was a king riding in because they would have expected a chariot or a great warring horse. So too, though, are the Jews who should have known better. They too are going to miss the reality of what Jesus is riding in for. As he's not riding in on this charging horse, but on a donkey, signifying again what he came for, that he didn't come to Jerusalem at the time to make war, but to bring peace. Peace between all people and God with his sacrifice that he will make just days later on the cross of Calvary. And as Jesus enters the city, as Zechariah said that he would, and the people are expecting something else. They are expecting the warring Messiah to come in and throw down the Roman government and their rule to spark revolution and overthrow. But Jesus, again, shows them as he's writing in that he is not there for war, but he's there for peace. He's there for peace and not for war. And how often I know, as, as I'm reading this, I'm challenged to think of how often I know that I too, that we too can miss how Jesus is working or how he wants to work in our lives. The same as these people did here, as they missed the point of Jesus coming in, so too can we look at our circumstances. So too can we put our own desires and wants towards Jesus as to what we think and how he should work when Jesus wants to do a different work in our lives. When Jesus wants to do something different, but based on our own perceived needs and desires, we treat Jesus not as we see him in the Bible, but how we want him to be. We demand of him that he works in us and on our behalf the way that we want him to and the way that maybe makes our life easier or has our best interest in mind. When Jesus shows us in his word how he actually wants to work. When Jesus shows us in his word what his will actually looks like. What the Christian life is to look like as we are to be surrendered to him, going ever before him as Romans 12.1 says, and presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is our reasonable acts of service and of worship. But so often we too, like those here on the street welcoming Jesus in, we look at him and say, oh yeah, now's the moment. Now's the time where you're going to come through in this way that I've been wanting for you too. But Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm here first to get my glory known. I'm here to do a work in your life and in this world, and it may look different than what you think. The people wanted a warring Messiah, but what they didn't realize is that they needed the King of Peace first. And we too need to make sure that though we may want Jesus to do this and to do that, the Lord to bring this about, this about, what he wants to do in our life, what he wants to do right now is way more, way more important for us, and we need to allow him to do that. Well, this entrance, again, not only fulfilled prophecy in its uniqueness by the mode of transportation, but it also set events in motion for the rest of the week. And this is important. 
As events were set in motion, in motion as Jesus rides in, he will, he will start or kickstart the week that will ultimately lead there to his death. You see, the religious leaders of the day did not want to have Jesus killed during the Passover week for fear that people would revolt, that there would be a riot, that there would be problems caused by the people should they deal with this man, that they held him in such high esteem. And for fear of the Roman government seeing a a ruckus be start, if you will, and then come in and put the hammer down and make everything uh, just all the more tight for the people there in Israel, the religious leaders had agreed, hey, he needs to die, but not during the Passover, not at this time. But as Jesus rides in and allows the praise of the people to come, he there challenges that thought in the religious leaders' minds. And in Luke's gospel, we see them actually try to tell Jesus to get the people to be quiet. Luke's account of this in Luke 19, starting in verse 37, it says, Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus is like, hey, this is a moment where praise is going to be had, where it's going to happen. And in this moment, and also what is going to follow along with the week, the next day as Jesus goes into the temple and there he clears it, These events are going to set in motion the rest of the week. As the religious leaders will say, okay, we need to find a way to end Jesus now so that he could be that perfect Passover sacrifice. We see that Jesus coming in, his unique entrance into Jerusalem here, it not only fulfills prophecy, but it also sets in motion What needed to happen, Jesus needed to go to the cross so that he could be there, the savior of the world. But as we see there, we see the approach and we see the entrance. What we come now to, as we take time to reflect on Palm Sunday, is we see the response of the people. We see the response of the people. Read verses 8 through 10 with me again in Mark chapter 11, where it says, And many spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As you read the Gospels, as we read the Gospels together, we see Jesus do some amazing things, right? Like, I mean, he heals the sick, he restores broken limbs and broken lives, and he causes lame to walk, blind to see, he casts demons out of, out of people, and he raises the dead. Like, we see Jesus do some amazing things throughout the Gospels. And of those that benefit from him doing so, we see that he almost always after restoring them, goes to them and tells them sternly that they aren't to tell anyone. Like, we see that all the time. We see Jesus constantly healing, and then as they raise up and they're excited, he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. 
And of course, no one listens to Jesus. They immediately go, they're like, Jesus healed me. This guy touched me. I used to not be able to see and all these different things. Like no one listens to Jesus when it comes to that at all. And he tells everyone, but Jesus never condones the advertisement. Jesus never condones the worship that they're giving and that the people go and tell the multitudes. Except for right here. Except for in this moment, right here, Jesus allows the people to spread their outer garments there on the ground. Jesus watches as they cut down palm trees and cut down the branches and they bring the branches, they lay them on the ground and they wave them about. Jesus watches and in this moment, he allows it. In this moment, Jesus invites the praise and he allows the people to sing aloud and cry out, Hosanna, to cry out there from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. As they were singing there and crying out Hosanna, they were crying out from this psalm, a messianic psalm. And in verse 25 and 26, it says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. As they're there crying out Hosanna, what they are crying out is the first two words there in that psalm. Save now is what Hosanna means. And as the people cry Hosanna, they are crying for Jesus to do just that, to save them, to be the savior of that nation. And as he comes in riding on the colt, they believe again that this is the moment that Messiah is going to save now, that he's going to rise up and overthrow the government rule of Rome. And he's there going to establish his kingdom there. And they praise him, looking for the prosperity of the nation of Israel to come once again. And though their praise, hear me, is placed in the right person. Indeed, Jesus is the one who could save now. Their reason for praise and their request is misplaced. Because the people in that moment do something that honestly is not too far off from what we do as well. They look at their current situation. They look at their circumstances. They look at the world around them and where their present lives are, and they cry out for salvation, but only from those present circumstances. Crying out, Hosanna, they are asking to be saved from the wrong things at that point in time. They cry, Hosanna, but only for Jesus to save them from the Roman government. They cry Hosanna, but only for Jesus to save as a conquering king or a revolution leader. And they cry Hosanna and seek for Jesus to establish his kingdom and then bring prosperity there to that nation. They cry Hosanna, seeking a saving from their immediate circumstances, forgetting that Jesus came to do so much more, forgetting that Jesus came not to save from Rome, but from separation that he came to bring salvation and peace with God, not war against an emperor. Jesus was making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem that day as a king, but not a warring king, but a king bringing peace, peace that was needed far more than freedom from Rome was needed, peace that was with God. Peace with God through the laying down of his life that would take place on the cross of Calvary days later. The cross that we will remember in a few days. The cross that our Savior hung on and bled from to save you and to save me and the whole world as he died there as a criminal. The cross that would lead to the tomb, a tomb that he would stay in for three days 
a tomb that would mean hope had died. Except for on that third day, we know that Jesus busted out of that tomb, bringing a living hope to us, bringing a living, real hope as he broke out of there as our victorious Savior. And because of that, because of that reality, because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of Jesus moving in and doing what he did, we too can cry, Hosanna. We too have the ability to cry out, Hosanna, save now. You and I, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, have a Savior that we can cry out to at any moment from anywhere and say, Hosanna, save now. I need you and I want you. We have that ability to cry out to him. And that ability begs two questions of us. It begs two very real questions for us to ask ourselves today. The first is, will you cry out to Jesus as the one who can save? Will you cry out to him as the one who can save, the only one in this entire world who can do so? You see, will you realize that you and I are a sinner that the Bible says needs a Savior? You see, the Bible is is a beautiful story where in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything, and he created it perfectly. And it was there in that perfection that he put a garden. And in that garden, he put a man. And out of that man, he brought a woman. And they had the ability there to just live life, to name animals and live and walk with the Lord and be fruitful and multiply. And God was with them. They lived in the presence of the Lord in perfection. But in that moment, in that perfection, there entered sin into the world. As man there took the fruit and he ate of the fruit that Jesus, that the Lord said not to eat from. And he there made a chasm, a separation that was not, to be a, not, not able to be crossed by man to get to God anymore. There was separation, there was sin, and that sin permeated through all of humanity. To where we read in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all guilty of that sin, and we're all separated from God because of it, and that our sin does not gain us anything but death. It warrants us nothing but death, and no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try or how good we try to be, we still only receive death. For the wages of sin are death, Romans 6.23 tells us. But Romans 6.23 also says that the gift of God eternal life. You see, our sin that we all have, that we're inherently living with, it creates a chasm. It creates a break. It disunifies us with the Lord, but yet the Lord gives us a free gift. That is eternal life, and that eternal life is available to us because of God's great love that is demonstrated by Jesus as he died there on the cross. And Romans 5.8 tells us that even while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, making a way for us to come to God, making a way for us to come to the Lord so that if we will, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he raised Jesus from the dead, then we will be saved because with one's heart we believe in him and with one's mouth confession is made into salvation. And Romans 10, 13 is clear in this. I want you to hear me that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That all who call 
on the name of the Lord, all who believe in their hearts and call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who cry out, Hosanna, save now. The Lord is faithful to save. The Lord is faithful and willing to save. You and I have a Savior. You and I have a Savior named Jesus who humbled himself as a man, came to this world, lived a life that was perfect, and yet died a criminal's death on the cross. Died a criminal's death on the cross for us, taking our sin and our shame upon himself and dying there to be laid in a tomb to raise on the third day and give us opportunity and a way to have peace with God. And as they here are crying out, Hosanna, save now, they are looking for a savior to save them from a circumstance that indeed was hard. But what they really needed to be saved from was far greater. Same for us as well. Same for us as well. The first is, question is, will you cry out to Jesus to save you? Will you acknowledge him as your savior, as the one who is willing to save and able to save? And the second question is for all of us as well. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you have cried out to the Lord. Maybe you have accepted that free gift of salvation, as many have, and you watching there right now, if you have it, I invite you to do so. And we're going to talk about how you can do that in just a moment. But for you and for I who have a relationship with Jesus, who are walking with him as believers, there's a second question that we must ask. Will you and will I call out and cry out, Hosanna, with the right perspective? Will we cry out, Hosanna, save now, with the right perspective, and walk in that salvation with a right perspective? Will you and I look at the salvation that Jesus offers as not just a fix for our circumstances, but a work of God's radical love that gives us peace with God? And though it may not fix, again, hear me on this, our present circumstances, in fact, it often won't. In fact, the, the, the trend would be that as we follow the Lord, it only gets harder in this world. Will we still look to Jesus and say, yeah, but me belonging to you is still more important. Because though it may not fix our present circumstances, hear me on this, it gives us and the world around us hope in those circumstances. As we cry out to Jesus and say, Hosanna, save now. Hope is real and concrete in that salvation. And we gain that hope in Jesus. Hope that is real and concrete even when it's hard to have hope. When this world continues to spin and it continues to work and it continues to go opposite of the way that the Lord goes. When the world continues to move this way and become ever more uncertain, we look to Jesus and say, I have a hope in you that is real, that is concrete, that will never, ever go away. A living hope that leads us to remember that we have a hope and a home with Jesus in heaven. And as we enter into relationship with him, as we walk in him, as we look to him and cry out, Hosanna, save now, he is faithful to give us that hope. He's faithful to work in us that way. We can look to our Savior, Jesus, and together shout, Hosanna. As a church in this time, we're, I say now more than ever, we are called to that. We are called to now in this time more than ever to be out there in the world crying out, Hosanna, save now. Save now our, 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 our friends and our family members, our coworkers. 
Get a hold of their lives and let them see you and save them and be those that show the way for that salvation. Be the ones that show and speak of the way for them to be saved, for them to be able to, to, be able to look up to the heavens and say, Hosanna, save now. And walk in the hope that you and I and the whole church has. Will we cry out to the Lord for that hope? And then, too, will we walk in that hope? And that's the challenge for us. That's the reality for us to look at on this Palm Sunday. As we cry out, Hosanna, as we look to Jesus and look to this, this, this recounting here of the people that are crying out, Hosanna, will we do it in a way as they did? Saying, save us from our circumstances, or will we instead look at them and say, no, save them, save me from my sin, save me from the darkness that is in this world that you outshine, that the hope of Jesus outshines. Salvation was made a real possibility 2,000 years ago when Jesus made this unique journey there into Jerusalem to become the perfect sacrifice for us and bring real hope to the world. And as these people here cried, Hosanna, save now, so too can we and should we be those that live out crying out, Hosanna, save now, and praying all the more that we would see the Lord wanting to save us, not just from our circumstance, but from our separation, from what our sin has gotten us, and then two, take that hope that we have for heaven and show it to the world around us. That is what we look at today. This Palm Sunday, we look at the hope that Jesus brings. And we too cry out together, Hosanna, save now. And he is faithful, ready, and willing to save. As we look to him, he's right there waiting for us. Pray with me.